0: Oh, yeah, As it. you know, this <laughs> oh. is the measure of an episode where it is our continuing Excellent. mission to explore what makes Star Trek a proper Star Trek episode and not just quality or crappy TV. I am your regular host, Jeremy. <laughs> and I'm Paul. Thank you, Jeremy. Our
1: special guest host of, the, uh, of this episode. And the criteria by which we judge these episodes, number one, is there science fiction? inherent to the plot? Is there science fiction explored in the plot number two? Is the science fiction, is, there, is the exploration of the science fiction novel or unique in some way And number three? Is there an ethical or moral dilemma presented to the audience through the characters or plotline? And I'm Paul.
2: And I'm Jonathan, and this week we watched the episode A Matter of Time, which is episode nine of season five of The Next Generation, and the blurb says, Reaching Panthara 4 after an asteroid wreaks havoc of catastrophic proportions, the Enterprise crew deals with trying to save the planet, completely ignoring the actual plot line. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So I have to say, thank you, Jeremy, for being on the podcast. Um, and I maybe you should clarify, are you a Star Trek fan at all? Um, ooh,
0: at all. Uh hmm. Everything I've seen about Star Trek, I like. Um, it it's It's fine. I've never really like committed to watching anything.
1: Okay, like I don't
0: know if that counts. Unless I'm so happy to say thing. it doesn't. Well,
2: I, yeah. I feel like I feel like he he likes Star Trek in the same way my my wife likes Arby's, which is every time we drive by Arby's she never wants it and she never thinks to get it. But whenever I bring it home, she's like, "That is so good." <laughs> you know, it's funny. I feel the same way about Seinfeld, that every time I sit down to
1: watch it, I laugh hysterically, right? But I never feel compelled to actively seek it out okay strange so yeah. star trek yeah.
2: is jeremy Se- uh, seinfeld yeah that's okay
1: fine. and so okay let's get this out of the way so jeremy you know of our criteria you know you've heard a few of our episodes yeah uh do you think this is a proper star trek episode
0: uh
2: yes i do
1: interesting jonathan what do you think
2: uh, i i would i would say yes as well
1: okay
0: okay there's not a lot of fighting going on yeah like. let's see what we're watching <laughs> next <laughs> <laughs> um no, I mean, like, uh, I'll tell you, like, as a show, if this was an episode, to, like, get me into the show, I have my complaints and everything, but, like, I th- I think I might start watching Star Trek. We'll see. There's yeah. a lot of stuff on my list, but. It's well, good.
1: I, so this this actual episode, I should have guessed this is what the. Because this is a very famous episode. It is, for yeah. For a bunch of different yep. reasons. And I didn't recognize it. And I love this episode, yep. regardless of its Star trek <laughs> Um But let's. Let's go through it because I am curious, Jeremy, of what your thoughts were just sort of as a non trucky type of person. And, of course, I'm always <clears> curious, <throat> Jonathan, as to what your thoughts are. Well,
2: yeah. So I, I just want to say I completely forgot about the, the B-plot to this episode about the time, you know, the, the, the planet. And so yeah. until they found the, the temporal anomaly uh, and they saw the ship – Like I did not remember this episode at all. Yeah, I'm. I
1: oh, so you don't. You didn't remember. Oh, I see. You didn't remember the B plot. Well, which is basically a MacGuffin in this. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter in the sense like the stakes weren't really riding. Even though hundreds of thousands, millions of people were going to. Twenty million people were going to die. I didn't care. I cared the most about this. You know, Burl, Professor Burl, right. And so it's so it becomes a MacGuffin. Interestingly enough,
2: isn't he Professor Headroom?
1: You're right. Okay. I mean, he's okay. also a very strange character in Eureka. Yes. Who, he plays an Australian guy. When he does the walkabout. I, yeah. <laughs> I love that show. Okay, well, let's go through it because I am curious uh, in the nitty-gritty, you guys' reaction to the nitty-gritty, because there are a couple of things in this that, that I don't know, jumped out to me. So let's go through the plot. So as you said, uh, the Enterprise is going to rescue some sort of planetary problem, and they come across this strange spaceship Turns out there's a time time traveler inside who says, I'm from the future, I'm here to watch this really crazy event, or rather, I'm here to watch you, without giving any information, which is
2: supremely interesting. I I felt like the stakes were legitimate until LaForge stayed on the planet, and then then I was like, okay, well, it it doesn't matter what happens now, because I know that the planet is going to be fine, because LaForge is not... Like, LeVar Burton is not leaving the show. Right. That's a good point.
1: I want to know what you guys thought about about Professor Berlinghoff Rasmussen. Um, I want to know, do you guys think he was kind of channeling Ace Ventura? So,
0: like, yeah. Um, I was watching this with my wife because it was in bed. And um, she made a comment to the effect of, who's this dollar store, Jim Carrey? <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah. Even though I think this came out. Pre, this is pre Ace Ventura. Oh, this is very pre, yeah. This is very
2: pre-Ventura.
1: Actually, is Um, it? No. This is season, this is right around it. Yeah, this
2: is season five. So I was going to wait until the end to hear what you guys thought about this, but um, this character was written for Robin Williams. Interesting. Like this was the script that he signed off on, or not that he signed off on, but that he was like, um, I love this. Yeah, I will do it. But he just came off of Hook. And, um, and his wife was uh, pregnant with Zelda. And so he, he was like, I can't do it. And so they had to find somebody else.
1: That's really interesting to know. How crazy would that have changed? How much would that have changed the
0: episode if Robin Williams? I feel like it would have been. If Mork from Ork boarded the Enterprise. Yeah, that'd be a big deal.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, even just regardless of the fact that he was just in a Spielberg movie that it would have just changed the energy. I mean mm-hmm. I, I felt like this guy, Matthew Fuhrer, Fle- Fleur, Fuhrer yeah. Yeah. I felt like he did such a, a magnificent job playing that kind of giddy character. Right. Almost kind of channeling the original series villains in a way, where very outgoing, very overly confident in some way, definitely hiding something.
2: Like a hair nut.
1: Yeah. He did a great job in in Portraying, like I believed that even though I knew it was going to happen, you can believe that he is from the future, and that all of the all of the explanations he 's giving as to why he can 't give you any information uh, are real and and true. And I felt like they did a great job as the episode progressed to slowly chip away at that confidence in him that he uh, is up to no good, and obviously, we needed Deanna to tell us absolutely nothing <laughs> it 's like I think he 's hiding something, but i 'm not sure what. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Deanna. I'm so surprised to hear you guys say this. I I feel, I mean, almost the opposite. I was so put off by him from the very start. And in particular, when they're talking about like, why aren't there any records of other historians traveling back in time? And he's like, well, obviously we're very good at being discreet. It's like, then what are you doing this whole time? Right. Um, Like, it just seemed to really fly in the face of what he claimed he should be doing to be so energetic and interactive and all those things
1: i I would be afraid if i was picard and he said and somebody posed the question how come there's no other records of this that i'd be like oh he's going to do something to us something's the outcome of of when he leaves is going to be bad for us yeah that like he only
0: shows up like right there at the end like it doesn't matter if i show up now because none of you will survive to tell the story right like
1: that would have been a terrible harbinger because it would have said, well are we going to live through this and that you know that I, they didn't really get into that. They kind of – they didn't really get into a lot of the temporal dynamics or whatever you want, the, the temporal theory of of why he shouldn't be there or, or the fact that – even the mere fact that you'd think that somebody like Data would say what you're saying doesn't make sense, the idea that you're not giving us information. The whole you, – your whole presence here is changing history. Yes. Hugely. Uh, unless we all just explode. That you know, that we're just that we're not going to survive this. This is not going to happen. And this, it's kind of like one of those things. Like, well, why didn't you bring that up? And I kind of missed that in this episode. I missed a little bit of the intellectualism of of teasing out why he might be there and the the impact somebody like that might have on the yeah. ship. But regardless,
2: um, I I can see how he might be grading. That's so interesting because I. <laughs> Yes, his his demeanor was grating, but I I tried to watch it with fresh eyes, knowing knowing how it ended, and he was definitely hiding something. But I legitimately suspected that he was from the future, you know, and like I didn't know what he was hiding, but that he was hiding something, um, right? You know, and so so yeah, like I was I was still captivated through this episode. I mean, again, it was kind of watch trying to watch it with innocent eyes, but yeah, like I I. I felt like he he was keeping something about this event that he that he couldn't share, and he wanted to see how it was played out, you know, and especially with the conversation that he had with Picard like near the end, um, right? You know that it, that that was that was what it was kind of about. I mean, I feel like near the end when he was kind of giddy around the bridge while the planet on un- below them is kind of dealing with everything. Like that's when I kind of suspected that maybe it wasn't this event. There was something else, but, um, but yeah, up until that moment, I, you know, I, I, I was seeing him as like, uh, kind of what we talked about, you know, like if we, if there was somebody, a, a Viking that got thawed, you know, and like the scientists would be able to talk to him, they would be absolutely fascinated, you know? And so he's the scientist being able to talk to the relics, um, like an Encino man, <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah, you remember how giddy Sean Astin and Polly Shore were the whole movie? <laughs>
1: right. Totally forgot um, Polly Shore was in that movie. <laughs> totally, how forgot. did you forget that? <laughs> I know, I know.
0: Right. Um, it's not so much that he was giddy, though. It was what he was giddy about. Like every single time he was interacting with them, it seemed like he was just rubbing in their faces that I know things that you don't, and this right, is going to play out ambitious. differently than okay. what you think. Okay. Um, yeah, Ibbish. Actually, it's yep. Yep. Mr. Spithick was on the Enterprise and it was the worst.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think I like the idea. I felt like his behavior promised an ending that didn't deliver because why would he, why would he be there? Yes, it was kind of a big event, but not that big of an event. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he was sealing things and he was hitting on all the women. Now, was he hitting on both Troy and Crusher or was he just sort of? Flirting with Troy and going full bore with crusher, uh
2: yeah, I felt like he was um I felt like he was just trying to make sure that everybody liked him so they wouldn't suspect him okay what what
1: could be an outcome that was better than what we got because it was he was just a thief, and frankly, him having to remain in the future is not much of a punishment. I understand what else were they going to do, but You've just been transported what I, I think he was, what, 22 to, or 200 years into the future? Yeah. That's a pretty good outcome for him, I guess. I mean, yes, he's going to space jail, but he's, he's probably – it's probably not that bad, space jail. And as they said, there's going to be a lot of historians that, that will want to interview you, and then he could probably leverage that into a nicer life for himself in the future where there is no disease. There is no poverty. You, know, you can have whatever you want out of a little box. So this idea that he would go to the future and want to travel—it's be- almost like if someone from the 1800s traveled to now and said, uh, "I want to invent the stethoscope and bring it back and make some some money in the 1800s." Except for the part where it's kind of cool; it's kind of much better living here in 2021 than it is in
0: 1821. So, oh man, you guys still have pandemics—the worst. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's what I thought. Like when I was watching the episode, it got to the end, and I, I didn't. It the the actual outcome did not occur to me. So I I appreciated that. Like to Paul's point, like I don't think there was like a better ending than what we could have gotten. <laughs> did you hear that? Um, yeah. <laughs> so
1: the reason we're laughing is not we're laughing at you is that there is a character on a different television Star Trek show uh, named to Paul, and you said <laughs> to Paul's point, and we're like, Paul, speak
0: up. <laughs> <I was afraid. laughs> um you have been paying attention to our podcast <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah. go sorry go ahead um, ahead. yeah so the the two possibilities in my mind were that he was actually from the future and he was just i don't know really bad at what he was doing or that he was an imposter which was something that they threw out as a possibility early on um and it got like the more time went on like i didn't want either of those outcomes i was like this show cannot end well there, there's no no ending here that I will, will like or appreciate. Um, I was wrong. I mean, I, I definitely I, I thought that was a, a better ending. It made some things sort of confusing for me, like just how much he knew. Um, you could certainly argue that he had access to the information from the 26th century. And so, right, yeah. um, you know, he would have been able to, like, sort of brush up on on that kind of thing. But you have to, like, sort of come their way quite a bit because that's not explained.
2: I was watching kind of with, uh, again, knowing how it ended and I was, uh, you know, everything that he was saying was very, uh, was very charlatan and con man. He was not saying anything that they weren't already presenting to him. Um, you know, any, any comments he made about characters or anything that he was saying about the, like the, the captain's quarters, like everything, everything he was saying was just, like, could have been made up on the fly just based on his personal observations. Like, he didn't say anything about somebody who wasn't in the room um, or, you know, just about the the room layout in general, like where Worf sat or where the book was on, the whether or not it was on the desk type thing. Like,
0: sure, but he seemed to have some pretty intimate knowledge of, like, who Data was, for instance. He knew that he was an android and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing outward to necessarily indicate that. He's just a weird looking dude. Um, were Klingons a species that we knew about in the 22nd century? Don't know yet. That's a good question. That's a good question. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, there there seem to be some things that he <laughs> did not find shocking. But, of course, I mean, that would have given up the ghost right away if he was like, <laughs> saw Worf, he saw was like, ah! <laughs> You're just... So much taller than
1: you are in the 26th century. Um. Well, that's an interesting question. So I, di- I didn't watch it this way, but did he kind of come on entirely virgin of knowledge? And he just was gaining knowledge just by talking to people. So did he actually even know their names? Uh, yes. uh, before they said their, their own names?
0: Um, y- y- I, I don't yes. know. I, uh, yeah. um, he said Picard before Picard was introduced. Um, also, like the thing that also struck me was I was like this was the thought that I was like okay he's definitely from the future I guess I don't know why this one was it but when he said Picard's empath won't like you they all said like he knew that she was an empath and why would you right. even begin to guess that so he actually didn't know what was going to happen
1: theoretically speaking yeah because he did seek them out it, it's sort of questionable why he chose the enterprise at this particular point or why he chose not to just go back to the 26th century uh, why Why not skip everything knowing that, that life will quite possibly be much even even better than the 24th century? But the idea that he chose them specifically and maybe did research and, and actually did know. It's not that he didn't know and wasn't telling them. He did know and was somehow adhering to this idea that he shouldn't tell them the future.
0: But rubbing their speaking. faces, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, like he was enjoying himself. And it did feel like he came aboard the Enterprise initially – with a plan. The plan was pretend to be a time traveler from the future, and I think he followed that, and then he kind of let his ego get in the way a little bit. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but well, it did feel like it too. kind of it eroded. Yeah, he got – his his greed and his ego eroded his facade. Eventually, you know, maybe he got – I guess his original idea was to actually steal the stuff on board, but it seems so chintzy. It seems like such a – a bad way to leverage having a time machine.
0: Yeah. And why do that on like the enterprise? If you have a time machine like this, couldn't you just teleport to go somewhere? Anywhere? Yeah. And like the Federation and just like find a storeroom that no one's guarding or anything or go past <laughs> the guards. Like just like load up the ship full of things that you want to take.
1: Right. Well, and he has access to any time that has ever existed. I mean, yeah. I don't, he could, you know, if he had to do a history report, Know, he could go back in time and get all of these different figures from history <laughs> to tell their own story in front of the audience.
2: Maybe get Abraham Lincoln yeah. to tell everyone. Maybe to party Abraham
1: on. Lincoln. Yeah. Maybe Genghis Khan.
2: Which a uh, little reference there. I don't know if you caught it or not, but when he said Adolf Hitler and Khan Singh, yeah, um, that's uh, that's Khan Nunyan Singh uh, from Wrath of Khan and uh, Space Seed. I did not catch that. Yeah, and I did.
0: i mentioned i was watching it with my wife um there's a part where data is listening to the the songs the four songs all at the same time um and she asked why they don't you know do like more modern things like why is it always things that are that long ago and of course the answer is that those those compositions are in the public domain but um you know it, it makes it seem like no history has happened for the next 400 years Um, but so that line where he's like next Adolf Hitler or Khan Singh, I was like, oh, like, I do know Wrath of Khan. I saw Into Darkness. So, Mm, um, great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I just I, – I thought it was a nice touch that they were like – they were like, you know, yes, other history than just the one – the history that you already know about.
2: Yeah. Um, there is an episode that we watched early on too that I, I think we talked about it. Um, uh, it's Lincoln in space. They they, they meet Lincoln uh, and they also <laughs> –
0: Lincoln in space.
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I don't
0: know what I'm doing out here, guys. This is the worst.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm just a frozen corpse is what I was picturing. <laughs>
0: how'd that run for six seasons (laughs) (laughs) um
2: but they did bring in a vulcan philosopher as well so that was kind of a a nice little touch in oh right yeah in that episode yeah tos episode yeah yeah
1: yeah the writing i mean the writing is usually pretty good on tng even if we don't necessarily like the episode I, i almost feel like when they're writing these scripts that I would love to to read the draft one in terms of what they wanted to do. Where did they where did they actually want to take this versus what was the the time slash budget limitations of uh, a concept like this? Mm. Because you know I think that because this show is is kind of lauded as being the pinnacle of science fiction, I guess not the pinnacle, but very emblematic of what good science fiction could be and can be that. I don't know. I I, want to see what their moonshot would be of an episode like this. It just seems like it seems very watered down.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, so I think the the thing that felt most watered down to me was the B plot, Um, the the planet and everything like that could have been a full episode on its own. Like that's definitely enough meat there that they could spend, uh, you know, the full 44 minute runtime just fleshing that out and making that the dramatic thing. And they didn't. It was so clearly in the background. And I think that this episode would have been a whole lot better if we had a hard time telling which one was the A plot and which one was the B plot. That, like, here's this very important event. It makes sense that there's this historian that wants to be here because we can feel just how tense this is. And then twist, you know, historian bad.
2: Well, and I think that speaks to Paul's saying, like, this this should have been a two-parter episode. And I feel like... Um, I, I feel like we say that most often with TNG episodes. Uh, kind of to speaking to Jeremy's point, like because there is so much meat in the the premise that to to really get a solid solid presentation of it, it should be fleshed out more into in into more than an hour, more than forty minutes.
1: We want we kind of want every really good episode to spend more time on the premise. You know, explore it more because Mm -hmm. it is such a good nugget of an idea. And very often in 45 minutes, you can't do that. And I do wonder if they had maybe even abandoned that B plot and thought of something different that supported the A plot a little bit better because it did feel very MacGuffin to me. It just felt like they need something big to be happening, but we're not going to spend too much time on it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it seemed very convenient.
2: Yeah, the the ideas are are too good to to fit into the forty minutes.
1: Jeremy, so do you have, in terms of your knowledge of Star Trek, is the Next Generation in the forefront, or is it more the movies, or is it, what what's in the forefront for you?
0: Well, so um, I actually I did start to watch the original series because I I I did about five or six years ago decide to like sit and watch Star Trek because it is it's. It's cultural, like it's a it's a touchstone. There's a lot of stuff that gets referenced and other things that I do enjoy. Um, and I I recognize it as being well made, mostly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so um yeah, I was gonna go through chronologically, and so I started with the original series, and um that was a lot of fun. I um again with my wife there would be times it's i'm pretty sure this is gonna spoil a little bit of the original series for you but there are so many times where um kirk has this almost like smug satisfaction he's just a little bit happy with himself it comes across as very um i mean flirty i don't have another word for it and so whenever he would do it my wife and i would say are you flirting with me captain um the answer is yes (laughs) yes Yes.
1: invariably yes
2: yes
0: um
1: (laughs) It was a numbers game for James T. Kirk, right? He knew if he did it to enough people, he was bound to land something. He made a bet
0: with a college roommate that he could bang everybody on the Enterprise and off. Nailed it. I don't okay, remember so, what the question was. Sorry. <laughs>
1: well, that, so like, in, the for- in terms of the forefront of your knowledge of Star Trek, and, oh, right. uh, is, is Next Gen – like do you have – have you seen other Next Gen episodes besides this one? Yes. Um.
0: I have next question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So no, I'd say the original series is a a stronger presence in my mind because I've seen more episodes of that. Um, I have seen a few next generation episodes and I'll say that it's been largely passive. Um, They've been kind of like on in the background while I've been doing other things Um, Mm -hmm. like at other people's houses kind of thing. And um, my favorite character in all of Star Trek is Q. Yeah, sure. By the way, when you said I when I'm doing other things, it's on in other
1: people's houses. I get the impression that when you're burglarizing other people's houses, you throw on <laughs> Next Gen
0: <laughs> in the background. So the, when I'm doing other things at other people's houses, is a euphemism for yeah. burglary. Yeah, burglary. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. He's known as the Next
0: Gen Bandit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you went home alone on that. I did too. Like <laughs> I, I didn't want. To, <laughs> Sorry, what did you say, Jeremy? You said something that that was supposed to move the conversation forward, and I wanted to grind it to a halt. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I've seen some Next Generation, not enough to really retain a whole lot. I like Q as a character, but the Q, original series is you, more in my mind. So Q, we have not watched
1: any episodes. with Any Q in it. episodes,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't really have a lot. I think there's like maybe ten in the whole series. So, oh, if that, yeah, yeah. Does
0: he ever show up outside of Next Generation? He does. Yeah, I think he's Doug. he's definitely in Voyager. Yeah, I don't know if he's
2: in Deep Space Nine. He's in one episode. He boxes with Cisco and never shows up again. Oh, okay, he should show up in Picard. I he, think he does. Too. Yeah, he shows up in oh, season really? two. Yeah,
1: in yeah, season two, nobody knows why or how. Oh, other than they paid him to show
2: up, right? <laughs> other the than they, the John Delancey has said that that's how and yeah. and why, but <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: but beyond that, we don't know.
1: But I agree. I for the longest time he was my favorite episode. My favorite episode. He was my favorite character because I think not necessarily for him, although he was good as Q. But they kind of saved all the good stuff for him in a way. All of the things that they made, like for example, the Borg. They introduced. They could have easily introduced the Borg without Q, but they chose to do it with Q. And I'm assuming, Jeremy, you know what the Borg are.
0: I do. I have no idea how it has anything to do with Q. But yeah, I do know who the Borg are. So
1: spoilers, Q, uh, I guess just sort of uh, mischievously punts the Enterprise into this very – in the very far reaches of space, I think in the Delta Quadrant or whatever, and introduces humans to the Borg when they – much prematurely. They wouldn't have really met each other naturally uh, until the Federation was much farther out into space. And so he does that. We don't really know why he did that. It was deliberate? Yeah. It was deliberate, yeah.
2: Well, and it's to show it's to show humans the dangers that are in space, how they're com- they're woefully unprepared. Mm.
0: You
2: know, and Picard's like, well, we're doing it anyway. Right, that's the thematics of it. Yeah.
1: And uh, but I think that now do you know who Guinan is? Guinan is Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, yes, by- yes. Okay. She kind of morphed into my favorite character mostly because not necessarily because she's in the best episodes like Q, but the gravitas of her character is 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 so well-performed and so well, like mm. everything, she's sort of the Mr. Miyagi of Star Trek where everything she says is right and carries weight and she could probably whoop your ass and she never loses in a fight. You know, it's that kind of thing where she's sort of the superhero of the show. Sounds like you're describing a Mary Sue. It's funny because she doesn't have any effect on the plot. People come to her for advice more often than not and she actually has a history with Q. Um, that we come to find out at a certain point, and and maybe a history with the Borg. oh yeah definitely with history with the Borg yeah but I think it's the fact that she has this she's like five hundred or six hundred years old and oh, she has this, so she's not she, human she's not human. no no <laughs> why wouldn't you why would you think she was human <laughs> but also I honestly think and we've talked about this before Jonathan that she is so different from who Whoopi Goldberg is
2: yeah. Absolutely.
1: That that has a big effect on me for some reason. I don't really know why, or that it, I think that it should, but uh,
2: it does. It's just nice to see Whoopi Goldberg so underplayed. Yeah, understated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, do you have a favorite
1: next gen character?
2: I mean, with us talking about her, I would I'd have to say Guinan, kind of for everything you said. Like she, I. I love the insight that she provides. I love how she just the, the way she interacts with, with other characters. Um, You know, like uh, there's, there's that one episode with where Riker is trying to teach Will how to hit on women and canceled. (laughs) um, And he, he starts making comments to Guinan and you know, and she's like, and they, they start genuinely having a conversation Oh yeah, that scene. Yeah. yeah.
1: Where they start where it kind of starts out as a demonstration of how to talk to women and then they both kind of get into it. Yeah. And Wesley is just like, Are you guys what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I Shut go, up, Wesley. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Why are you using my hand? <laughs> <laughs> That's my leg. <laughs> yeah. Uh Jeremy, you understand? I think but I
1: think Data is like sort of the go to favorite character in a way. Yeah. Um, just because he's so he's so good at being that character, but I don't know. He's a main character, so yeah. I think it's the, the fun ones are the ones that only show up every once in a while.
2: Well, and I to your point about how Data's an awesome character, I I feel like in the first season he's kind of a really great character in so far as like just the whole you know what is human? Beep, boop boop. But in the um, <laughs> what am love? Right, and right. Data love. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, you joke, but that—I mean—there are scenes where he's trying to sneeze, and he says, "Ah, a human joke!" Ha ha ha! Mm. Like it gets as silly as as that. So yeah, it's annoying. Uh,
2: but I think he like his moment where he jumps back over the shark
0: is—that
2: <laughs> <laughs> would have made that episode of Happy Days so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> No, where where he, like, redeems himself and actually becomes the Data that everybody remembers is uh, is with Dr. Pulaski when she calls him Data. And, right. he, and he's yeah. like, call me Data. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your Data?
1: <laughs> well, and, and Data does get that moment again at the end of this episode where he says, I'm assuming your handprint will open that door whether you're conscious or not, which is like a drop the mic type of thing to say to somebody. Right. And it, it's like you normally Data, with what he says, there is no subtext. It's – very direct, and this is you know that was full of subtext. it was just like a badass line to say for a yeah. Star Trek character for a robot and a star trek character
0: well that so that 's actually an excellent segue back into this episode um, <laughs> so um, that 's not necessarily a given. you can absolutely have biometrics that depend on the person being like conscious in order for them to work so i was thinking like in the 24th century no it probably wouldn't work if they're unconscious because that's a pretty substantial security vulnerability his whole plot like where he's going to take all these things back with him 200 years and he's going to sell them as his own inventions that's absurd like if someone took the iphone back 20 years and you were like i invented this and you're like how
1: yeah yeah. He, uh, well, he does. He does say he's a, a crappy. You inventor. tell me. Yeah. <laughs> that actually is a better. It's almost a, a better plot line that that he accidentally stumbles upon, which is he should have at the beginning, at the onset, wanting to steal data. He, right. That was the whole plan, and that was what the plot line was. Oh, for. data the character. Yeah, okay. data the character.
2: I believe that's the first time we've had that confusion on our podcast. Well, s- so stealing data is a thing. Oh, I know. I know. I totally understand. <laughs> but, like, we have never confused data and data. That's yeah. true. But I think also, just to speak to Jeremy's point, like, that it was more about taking those things back and seeing I, – I mean, yes, he said, like, kind of release one of these every year. But he also talked about data and reverse engineering him, kind of seeing, like – how he is put together. And I, I I took from that that that's kind of what his plan was with all of those things and see how they work and then build them up again and present them to the world.
0: But there's still limits to that. Like technology is at this rate just exploding in its capabilities and that's not slowing down. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's a finite universe, there are thresholds there, but still like sticking with the iPhone as an example, if you took the iPhone back in time 20, 30 years and, you know, we're talking about two centuries in the episode, so I'm keeping the numbers very small here just for uh, comparison's sake. Took it to an inventor, someone who was, like, a computer engineer, and showed them this thing. They would have no no concept of, like, the silicon involved or how the display was done or,
2: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: you know, the battery technology. Like, there's just so many things about it right? Um, that taking this back in time 200 years, like, it's just – it's way too ambitious for, for this guy. And, um, yeah, and,
1: and even if they, even if they did figure out how it worked as a device itself, reproducing it would be impossible Yeah, because you wouldn't have mm. the evolution of manufacturing of all of these breakthroughs that have happened to get to that, you know, like an OLED screen, taking right. that back for even 50 years, they would have no idea like that. How do you arrive at this? When we don't even have regular LEDs yet, you know, mm. <laughs> I, you'd, you'd never be able to, you'd never be able to get there. I mean, it, it would, it's sort of, well, I guess that maybe that outlines how crappy of an inventor he is.
0: <laughs> maybe, <laughs> right. he. maybe he would have failed, you know, but he figured out the time pod. Like he figured out technology from 400 years in the future. He says it took him a few weeks. That is savant level yeah. um <laughs> but, knowledge of this true. stuff
1: well and also the idea is that you're going to cause damage if you bring these things back with you mm-hmm. by polluting the timeline with the set that's not supposed to be there mm-hmm. yet there is a time machine in the 22nd century that i'm assuming is still there right it's yeah. it's set to go back so and i'm assuming he programmed why he would program it to do that oh, maybe man. i may, maybe it
0: wasn't under his control? I don't know. And I'm sure this didn't happen, but it would be so good if, like, subsequent episodes, like, dealt with that. Like, this technology was, like, suddenly a part of their history and it didn't used to be. That's, for some reason, being so close to the temporal event meant it's, that the Enterprise was immune from the ripple effect through time. But now there were, there was this tritanium mesh or whatever it was, material that was being used in spaceships and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Consequences!
2: Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, they would—they absolutely would do this now. I think they did with Discovery, uh, but just because the show had to be episodic, you know, they they couldn't just mm. randomly have something happen between episodes and we not see it or it not resolve itself by the end of the episode.
1: Well, and the, the whole idea that okay, so they would put the Enterprise would log this away, this ship and this this event that happened with a time traveling whatever. That would go in the books, and eventually whoever invented this time pod in 200 years from now would know about this in some way or have have at least some reference to it and know that this was going to happen, and so therefore it would never happen.
2: See, I would think all temporal displacement is classified.
1: Really? Uh, I guess guess it's – I'm assuming that it was part of the Federation or at least military, that it might not have been. It could have just been some guy who invented it and didn't even know about
2: it. Well, yeah, like uh – you him talking about the um the time limit, you know, that absolutely makes me think of sliders. Totally. <laughs> that show. <laughs> oh, that's a good point though. Like why was there even a time limit at all? It made me think
1: I, I inferred that he was not in control of the ship enough to know to to really control that much. Yeah. That he okay. it was sort of on autopilot and maybe he could set where it went, but that it was jumping by itself but we'll never hate see this is the stuff that i want them to talk about like this is, this, yeah. this is the detail that i would want them to go into that they never do like
0: it I, I can think of things that would be reasonable that the ship has a built-in time limit because as temporal agents they want to make sure they don't leave anything behind that they can help and so it just has to um but of course i don't know that isn't right. that as an explanation would mean that they have to explain how it stayed in the 22nd century well maybe it just keeps mm. jumping
1: every every Forty-eight hours, or what, however long he was there, <laughs> it just randomly jumps to places. And, it's
2: quantum and, leaping, yeah. <laughs>
0: and it hopes that each leap.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there is a, a concept introduced later, uh, I think, in Deep Space Nine, where there there are people from the future who, future who come back to investigate temporal whatever crimes or something like that.
2: They never say that they're from the future, but they do time cops. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, and Van Damme's one. Of Jean yeah. Van Damme.
1: Why isn't there a show about Star Trek that is this temporal unit from the future where they have to go through all of Star Trek and fix, you know, basically time cop the Star Trek edition, you know? Why where is that show? That would be the most interesting show.
2: Yep, but it's not there. It's
1: not there. They're not going to do it.
2: I hope they do. I mean, we've already talked about this twice, I think twice now, but but yeah, like it's it's just such a good idea. It can fill in plot holes, it can do other awesome things.
1: <laughs> well, they have the technology to to put them into old right. shows, you know, they have the ability to be nostalgic but also fresh. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So I feel like it can it can check all the boxes that CBS is wanting to do. So I am I definitely I did not give my opinion before. I am definitely a yes yes on this. I I like the episode and I think it's like a a proper Star Trek episode. You know, yeah. of course. Um so but that's an that's an easy
2: one. This is like an easy one. There's oh, easy I know, one. I know. <laughs> like we're dealing with a time traveler and They have a straight-up discussion about whether or not they should use information from the future.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of handed to us Um, a little bit. But, I mean, talking about the novel presentation, I thought it was pretty novel that the time traveler was from the past and was using technology from the future from another time traveler. Yeah. So, yep. all three three check marks. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) Well, should we see what you're not watching next?
2: I'll watch it. You can't stop me. That's true. That's true. (laughs) And and you can write in and you can tell us your thoughts.
1: <laughs> Actually, I don't think our email is working. I don't think we've gotten an email yet.
2: So listeners, if you if you want to help us, if you could just send us a quick email just to let us know so we can see whether or not it's working, that would be great. It's the measure of an episode, all one word, at gmail.com. So just say like, hey, is this working? And we'll reply back. Yes it is. Thank you. We will we will reply to the first hundred that we get. Right. Before mm-hmm. May June thirty first June thirtieth, I got of twenty (laughs) twenty one. There we go. (laughs) Any June (laughs) thirtieth. Somebody listening to it, July first. They're like, "Oh, I got lots of time." (laughs) How did they know?
1: (laughs) Okay, let's see what we're watching next.
2: Resurrection. Jesus. Season eight, episode six. Try that again. Episode eight, <laughs> season six of DS Nine. There's a blurb, right? There is, yeah. But it's two different places, Paul. I gotta get to the other place now.
1: Make sure it's not a goddamn two-parter. I'm so sick and tired of finding out there are two. There's a two-parter. <laughs> right. Although I will, I will always watch Deep Space Nine on 1.5 speed. So always,
2: I I can't tell you whether or not it's a two-parter
0: because you it has sworn me, me don't to don't secrecy.
2: It. Well, uh, because. If if it is, it's part one because we've already watched the episode right before it. Um, oh, good. So, and the blurb says the alternate universe version of Kira's dead love beams aboard and takes her hostage, then reveals that he's running from his world's evil alliance. And I like that inevitably- it doesn't. Uh, I can guarantee that it doesn't say his name in the cold open, and that's why it doesn't say his name in. The- <laughs> <laughs>
1: Although that's a pretty jam-packed cold open, if that's all that happens in the cold open.
0: I like the idea of, like, it does say his name, but the blurb writer was like, I'm not rewinding. <laughs> what was it? Oh, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Who cares? Stupid show, anyway. But thank you, Jeremy, for coming on. And, yeah, thanks for uh, having me. And, and providing us your insight. It was very fun. You should come on again. Will you come on again, pretty please? Um, pretty please. Yes. He's like,
2: I'll, okay. I'll have to check my schedule. It's, it's pretty busy.
1: I mean that is that is, genuinely that is true. Right, true. I know.
2: <laughs> you just like to say things in a very hesitant way. I've been Paul. I've been Jonathan. And I
1: still am Jeremy. And this has been the measure of an episode.
2: As you know.